Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We are officially ready to go now. Ready to go on a medium-sized Wednesday. Nine games on the card tonight. Only four to recap from yesterday. And I don't have a show-opening rant today. I feel content. Paul George played in a basketball game. He didn't look that great, but, you know, whatever. Rusty. Skipping the back-to-back. I think uh, Clippers are in Utah on the second half of a back-to-back after coming from home. They're going to get smoked. Nobody's going to play in that game. Get Utah by six and a half right now. I only wish that we had that line before Paul George was ruled out, but I think that oddsmakers kind of knew. Those are brutally difficult games coming from the West Coast. We talked about it just a few days ago. I think the Suns, right? And the Suns have a win in Golden State. And then they flew into altitude and just got steamed by the Nuggets. It's the same story in Utah. The altitude back-to-back coming from Pacific time. That's the little tweak on it because that's an hour and a half to two-hour flight. So it's a typically longer flight. And they're starting later. Games finish up late Pacific time. Clippers game ended at like shade before 10 o'clock local time out here last night by the time they get packed up and get on a plane it's probably after midnight if I had to guess then it's some two hours ish so it's 2 a.m pacific time when they're landing in Utah where it's actually closer to probably three somewhere between three and three thirty in the morning they're probably not getting to the hotel until almost five in the morning and then they got to turn around and they got to play a six o'clock local time game so Pacific time, 6 o'clock Pacific time, I should say. It'll be 7 o'clock local time in Utah. So they have like 14 hours between when they go to sleep and their next ball game after having just played one. It's crushing. It crushes the body. It's very different than if they're coming from the other side even, central time. Take, take a flip side because it's like a double, you get that double whammy. Like let's say that uh, the Clippers were in like Cleveland the night before or something like that. Although I admit I have no idea how long the flight is. How well we'll Google it here. How long is the flight from Cleveland to Salt Lake City? Yeah, this is great, great podcast. Um I'm not seeing anything direct, so this is very this is not at all helpful. Uh they're saying five hours, but that's because there's a layover there. There's a connecting flight. Great. That's that's not super useful. Well, anyway, figure it out. I mean, you can look at a we can look at a, a Google map, um, and the distance from Cleveland to Salt Lake City is actually not that different than the distance from the West Coast to Salt Lake City. Uh, it's more. It's probably more like a three-ish, I would think, hour flight. And then obviously Denver, you move it a little bit closer to the midpoint there. Um, 
so you've got this this time thing where, you know, let's say that a game finishes up in what's easier. I should, probably should have done Chicago because I'm pretty sure there's a Chicago to Salt Lake City flight, but whatever. It doesn't really matter. Chicago to Salt Lake City, you take the flight there. It's, you know, two hours and some odd minutes, probably two and a half hours, something like that. And you're leaving Chicago at midnight central time. But instead of that being what we just talked about, midnight Pacific time, which is 1 a.m. in Salt Lake City or Denver, now it's 11 p.m. So it's a two-hour difference there. You get in, you get started, you get to sleep at 3 instead of 5 in the morning, or you check into your hotel at 3 instead of 5 in the morning. It's a big, big difference. It's still really hard, and you're in altitude, but that two-hour, that time gap where the game starts later, ends later. Anyway, it's a gambling thing more than anything else. I don't know why I got sidetracked on this one, uh, other than to mention the fact that the Clippers actually had their superstars for one shining night, and uh, now they won't for another one here. They lost anyway, so I guess, you know, what the hell good did it do? Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I am Dan Bespris. Please do follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Want to remind everybody again that if you're listening to the recorded version of this podcast, we are trying to do shows Tuesday through Friday live on YouTube. We are uh, doing it today. And the advantage to watching live on YouTube is, number one, you get to see my lovely mug, which may actually be a disadvantage and why many of you might continue to choose to listen to the recorded podcast only. But we also have little graphics that we can run up there. They're not particularly fancy, but you can see the box scores as we're talking about them. You can see the player ranks. As we're talking about them, uh, you can see the questions that you can make, pose, write. I can do this. I can get the right word. You get to write questions in the YouTube live chat, and I answer them after the show. You're not, you don't hear that part on the recorded podcast, but after the show is done, I usually look over at the YouTube live chat, and if anybody throws any questions in there, we kind of rapid-fire our way through them. So, again, follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. Use the YouTube live chat. Come hang with us. Sportsethos.com slash YouTube is the, the, our hub over there. So head on over and subscribe and do all that good stuff. Let's look at the box scores from Tuesday. I don't think this is going to take us all that long because it was really just like big name guys showing out for the most part. We had like maybe I would argue one or two things in maybe half the ball games, so really not a whole lot. But let's let's dive in and see what we can make of ourselves here. Toronto lost in Milwaukee. They were on a back-to-back after the overtime game with the Knicks on MLK Day, and so they had a little bit more time to get themselves prepped because the previous one was a day game. But they, you know, most of the team was coming off playing like 44 minutes the night before, and they still got up to the... I mean, ugh, Nick Nurse, man, you got to... Give your team a break here. I know Freddie Van Fleet had a really good ball game. He runs so hot and so cold. And every time he runs cold, I get the questions. The Twitter questions, they come in. What should we do about Fred Van Fleet? And I'm like, guys, for the love of all that is holy, he runs super hot and super cold. And guess what? He's number 25 on a per-game basis. It feels like he's been really banged up this year. But he's actually played in 37 ball games so far, which is, you know, he's missed like, what, six-ish of the Raptors game? Six, seven? Not a brutal number. He's at like around 80%. 
which is frankly pretty close to league average right now. He's 25 per game. He's 26 by totals. So he's a tiny bit behind his ADP, but it's kind of been fine. The only way that this thing explodes in our faces, or anybody's face, not that we were targeting Freddie Van Fleet, but like we ended up with him in some spots, is a trade to a place where you know, he's not like the number two guy. He's basically the number two guy on that Raptors team. Pascal Siakam tends to take more shots, typically on a night-to-night basis, not necessarily when Van Fleet is the hot one. He got 28 shots and Siakam only had 13. Siakam probably should have had more, for whatever that's worth. Um... But that's the way that this thing could kind of annihilate itself. So he gets cold. He falls a few slots. He gets hot. He moves back up the board. Don't worry too much about it. Gary Trent has been on a furious run of late here. I haven't looked lately to see how far he's moved up the board, but he's actually, yeah, now we're checking. He's number 49 per game on the season after this recent hot run. Got his field goal percent up to 44. Got his steals up to 1.7. It's like all that crap at the beginning of the year just didn't even happen. He's rolling. Great. Terrific. Nothing you need to do. And people are like, well, should I sell high? I'm like, yeah, well, okay, so you sell high only if the player you're getting back is built on the Gary Trent, like, first round run that he's been on the last, whatever it is, like three weeks. He's been number 11 in nine cat leagues. He's not going to be number 11 the rest of the year, and no one's going to give you number 11. If you offer up Gary Trent and you get a top 50 guy back, that's basically selling where he should be because he was very cold. Now he's very hot. He's kind of leveled where we expected him to be all season long anyway. I actually didn't plan on talking about Toronto in this game, but we have time today, so I did. I planned on talking about Milwaukee. Brooke Lopez got ejected, which is a little bit silly, let's be honest, Um, because Brooke Lopez is typically one of the friendlier dudes in the NBA. He's fallen to number 27 now, and I think we all kind of knew he wasn't going to stay in the second round all season long, Uh, but it does feel like he can pretty much roll top 40 when all things are kind of said and done in this mess of of a year. Uh, so don't freak out. And he's played in 44 games too, which I think is every Bucks game so far. Or did he miss one? Either way, he's number 11 by totals. So eat your heart out, Nikola Vucevic, who's number 10. God, I love these. I love these old man squad guys that just never get drafted on time. It's crazy. Joe Ingles, 15, 6, and 8 with a block on a hyper-efficient ball game. Now, this is not something that's going to happen when Giannis is back, and it's definitely not going to be something when Giannis and Chris Middleton are each back in there. But we were kind of trying to get a feel for, can we pick up any bucks while Giannis and Middleton are on the shelf? Now, Middleton, remember, he got assigned to the G League again yesterday to get in get some practices in with them. He's really getting close. We don't have a a specific deal with Giannis, but he's been day-to-day. So they could each pop up for Milwaukee's next ballgame, and all of this could kind of be moot. But just in case it's not, Grayson Allen does feel like a pretty safe play when those two stars are out. Frankly, when any two of the Bucks stars are resting or out or hurt, whether it's Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, any two of the three combination Grayson Allen does make a lot of sense. Bobby Portis makes a lot of sense in those spots. He wasn't as good in this one, but typically he's pretty safe. 
Connaughton is more your kind of 14-teamer, more of a schedule streaming kind of play when everybody's hurt. Uh, and then Ingles does seem like maybe he's kind of moved above the cut line when two of the stars are hurt. So I think I would start Grayson Allen, Joe Ingles, at least among the guys that weren't startable before when Giannis was in. Now, again, this might not matter. Bucks play again, what, tomorrow? Do they go Thursday or do they are they off until Friday? Hold on a minute. We can figure this thing out. Live on air. The Bucks are off actually for a little while now. Whoops. Do they not go until Saturday? I think they might be off until Saturday. Yeah, you probably get someone back for that ballgame, whether it's Giannis or Middleton. Sure feels like somebody's going to go. Uh, but let's look, let's go back to this thing because we're getting a little too deep into the Milwaukee Bucks. Whatever. We do what we want, man. Wednesday shows we do whatever the hell we want. Used to have uh, buy low, sell high stuff. I got to get that going here on Wednesdays again. Every year. So look, here's the thing, guys. A little sojourn into the life of Dan Vespers. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. I have a two-year-old. You guys know that. I have a six-year-old. Most of you probably know that as well. Um, the six-year-old is in school from 8 a.m. until at least, like, 2. I actually get out 145 a couple days of the week now, which was not something that happened when I was a kid. But it's 245 three days of the week, and it's 145 the other two days. Regardless, he's in school. He's out of here for, like, six hours. Sometimes more because we'll throw him in aftercare. The little dude is only in school for, like, three and change hours every day. So that does throw a little bit of a wrench into plans, at least for me. Yes, some of the time we have a sitter that can go get him, but he gets colds, things like that. He can't be, he's not old enough to be entertained by anything other than a grown-up, basically, or other children in like a play yard. So I'm hesitant to make a bunch of guest-related plans on this podcast because I have to cancel them so often. I've done it to, like, everybody. I've done it to Brew a handful of times when we were supposed to be doing shows on Thursday, and, like, Thursday was one of my tough ones to begin with. Uh, we did it earlier this year with Josh Lloyd, where I had to push him back two different times for, I think, the one kid had hand, foot, and mouth one time, and then the other one, I don't remember what, like... That's the problem. Until I know... Until the little one is old enough to just even be in school for, f like, five hours, and I know... He's just there. I don't have to worry about turning around and picking him up. And I have a window. Then we're going to get some more guests back on this show. But right now, it's hard. That said, I think I am going to be doing live shows with Brewski on Fridays starting as soon as next week. And we just we got to make that happen. 
We're going to make it happen. Damn it. I'm going to make it happen. Anyway, uh, Brooklyn at San Antonio. Kyrie Irving rested for the Nets. I think they figured they could beat the tanking Spurs even without Kyrie. Um, but they didn't. And we're seeing the value of Kevin Durant. I mean, more than it, not that like we needed another example of how good KD is, but the Nets have lost all three games since KD went down. Uh, they've fallen now into the four slot in the Eastern Conference. I only hope that it doesn't make KD kind of want to rush back a little bit because we need him to be right when he gets back. I wouldn't read too much into this ballgame, though. Uh, I doubt that Kyrie takes too many more days off while KD is injured. I think he knows that the team needs him, and they're going to have to kind of scrape wins together while they're waiting on Kevin Durant. But on the off chance that Kyrie does take another ballgame off, I figured Seth Curry was playable. I, I sent a tweet out yesterday that was like, hey, put you know put him in the maybe pile with, with Kyrie out, and he got plenty of shots because he became sort of like a one-to-one fill-in almost. Joe Harris was bad, so his minutes tanked. Royce O'Neal was bad. He'd actually been quite good lately. I, I would stick with Royce. If Kyrie plays in the next ball game, I think O'Neal's probably the only of those fill-in level guys that does stay above the cut line. But the other one that everybody was keeping an eye on was TJ Warren, and we've had sort of a TJ Warren watch on this podcast for a month and a half now. And he probably gets enough shots when both superstars are out also. Um, does he do enough other stuff? It's been kind of questionable this year. It doesn't really feel like he fully has his body underneath him. And he's kind of, every week, he's sort of trying to play himself into more game shape. And I don't know. It doesn't really feel like he's all the way. The rebounds aren't really there. The steals are not really there yet. He never really passed much. I do feel more like TJ Warren is an interesting keeper for next year because he's on, I think, a veteran's minimum contract right now. And he's probably going to be trying to get a, a more prolific job next season. Uh, but it's hard to say. And, and as far as this year goes, like as long as any of the superstars are there for the Nets, it doesn't feel like he's going to be able to get enough in his bucket on a game-to-game basis. But uh, good on Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton for surviving a 98-point effort. And uh, again, they just, you know, they needed help. They didn't get it. Keldon Johnson, 36-11. Three threes, four steals, and he has quietly been a little bit better lately. It's still a very rough season as a whole. He's at .7 steals and .2 blocks, which is just, uh, if you're under one combined defensive stats, it's really not good. The scoring's fine, 21.5 points. The rebounds at five are acceptable, the free throws coming back up, he's at 78% on the year now, has actually been a really good, I mean, it's a big reason why he's been uh, improving, why his rank has been kind of sliding up the board, because he wasn't hitting anything at all. And guess what? Over the last month, he's inside the top 100. Thank goodness. Still not shooting well, 44% over that stretch, but he's not at like, what was he, he's like 32% super high volume for a while? That was untenable he's been startable over the last month phew i want to talk about Jakob pertle for a little bit but i think i kind of want to come back and make him maybe the last thing that we talk about on the show is pertle 
Um, because there's all this trade deadline stuff that we kind of need to just punch into our brains and figure out how we're going to... Yeah, so let's just keep going. We'll come back to Jakob Pertl. Don't let me forget. I'm talking to you folks in the live chat room. Um, Denver. Wow, Nikola Jokic. 36, 12, and 10. A three, a steal, and a block on 13 out of 14 shooting and 9 for 10 at the free throw line. That's insane. That is flat out insane. Jokic is currently the number two player on a per-game basis in fantasy, and he is number one by totals on the year. Uh, Shea, Gilgis Alexander, number two. Jason Tatum, number three. KD is still number four, by the way, by totals. I mean, that's going to fall off. But he was basically he was being chased down by Tatum and Tyrese Halliburton, and then Halliburton got hurt as well. Tatum passed him. But Jokic, man, he just... He's just blowing out in front of everybody again. Uh, Anthony Davis still number one on a per-game basis, but, you know, we all know what's been going on there. But holy smokes. Jokic now is shooting almost 63% on the year. That's so nuts. I mean, this is why you're the consensus number one, because you're just, you're just dominating people. There's really nothing from a fantasy standpoint in this ballgame. I think the only little footnote is... No, you're not punting on Josh Hart. I know he's not been as good lately. He's lost some of his confidence. It'll be fine. Denver is a good basketball team also. I mean, we have to remember that. They're the number one seed in the Western Conference. They've won seven games in a row. They're a half game up on the Grizzlies, who have won 10 games in a row. And those two teams have really separated themselves as the class of the West. Could the Pelicans have been up there with them had Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson stayed healthy? Maybe. But they didn't, so they're not. Nuggets and Grizzlies have had the benefit of decent health. I know the Nuggets lost Michael Porter Jr. for a few weeks in there, but that wasn't much. And the Grizzlies have, they lost Desmond Bain for a few weeks earlier in the year. But it does seem like a lot of teams can kind of weather the storm of one guy being out. It's when you get that compounding stuff that uh, you really start to wear it. Like the Clippers, I know it was mostly Kawhi, but then Paul George has been out for stretches as well. And Norman Powell was out for stretches that's a team that's underperformed. You could pin a lot of it, some of it, certainly a lot of it on injury stuff. Blazers lost Dame for a while, but they've been bad since he came back. Suns injury stuff, Lakers injury stuff, uh, Wolves injury stuff. Sorry, I didn't mean to leave you guys out. Kings have been relatively healthy so far. Demonis Sabonis smashed up a hand, but he's playing through it. Mavs have had Luka. That's really the only one that matters there. Warriors lost Steph. Sorry, Dubs fans. I almost forgot. Warriors lost Steph for like three weeks. But, again, they haven't been that great even when Steph was in there. Can't win on the road these days. Weird. Clippers, speaking of the team that's been knocked by injuries, uh, Clippers lost. 120 to 110. Which, by the way, um, again, I don't want this to turn into like a Lakers hour on the podcast because that's not the point of a fantasy show. But I do feel like the Lakers take maybe more heat than they should. Lakers very well could have beaten the 76ers, who came back and kind of just whacked the Clippers around. I know Paul George was coming back, and he was rusty, and he had five turnovers and all that stuff, but look, James Harden had a bad game on the other side, and Philly still punked him. Clippers were losing pretty much. The, they had a comeback in the third quarter to basically get even, and then they fell back behind by a dozen, and it was it really didn't get any closer than that. The Lakers have been playing okay. 
maybe the point of this is that there's criticism to go around, and you're starting to see it coming out of the Clippers media, too. Which, there's always this kind of like... By the way, I think Clippers media does a pretty damn good job. Shout out to you guys in Clippers media. Uh, of being pretty fair with their assessment of the team, which is like, look, we've been dealing with injuries, but at a certain point, you you got to just figure this thing out because they had in seasons past. I think you're seeing with the Clippers, I think they'll win a bunch of games when PG and Kawhi are both in there and both healthy and can play normal starters minutes because Kawhi did, but Paul George didn't. Will that ever happen is a big question left unanswered. Uh... But I do think that there's like a little bit of an attrition thing going on with the Clips, where every year it's the same crap. Oh, PG's out for a whole season. Kawhi's out for half a season. PG's out for half a season. At a certain point, all these very capable backups are like, look, like this is not, we're not going to win a championship unless our guys are here. So we're running out of gas, man. Okay, from a fantasy standpoint, however, Paul George being back, does, I believe, dramatically change what you can do with your Clippers. Now, everybody's going to be sitting out there back-to-back in altitude. We already know Paul George is out. Kawhi hasn't been officially ruled out, but it would be a little bit dumb to play him uh, in this type of... Like, this is... There's so many back-to-backs where I think guys could play. Like, a home back-to-back. You finish the game, you drive home. I mean, they're home by, like, 11 o'clock, probably, on those nights. And... Do they go to bed immediately? I don't care, but they have all day to rest. They can get themselves geared up for the next game. Yeah, it's a lot of strain on an NBA player's body. I get it, but it's not like the travel back-to-back that we just described going into altitude. This is like the... This is the moment. This is the type of situation where a player gets hurt due to fatigue of body. Like, think about it. I don't know how many of you uh, listening to this podcast are exercisers. Do you go to the gym? Do you work out at home? Do you run? Stuff like that. Think about how your muscles react differently when you're tired. And I try to get a little bit of exercise here at home. I do it all like on the floor of my bedroom with some handheld dumbbells and a, and a yoga mat. Uh, when the kids are have like have us awake through the middle of the night, I feel completely obliterated. And the muscles don't work as well. And I can feel, like, the strain on them. And I feel like things are getting ready to get pulled. And this is me working with little freaking child-sized weights on the floor of my bedroom. This is a game where you... So expect these guys to sit. I, I mean, the Clippers may just sit everybody and play all backups and just take the schedule L here and, like, kind of hope to pick up the pieces. Because they're still the seven seed. They're tied with the Warriors at a 500 mark. If they lose a ball game, it's not the end of the world. They still have uh, plenty of opportunity to climb out of the play-in, especially when you see, you know, the the Warriors tied with them are technically out of the play-in right now. And then the Mavericks are a game and a half up. But I happen to believe the Mavs are a little bit of a paper tiger to a certain degree. Um, unless they get some help at the trade deadline. And then I'll reassess. And I like the Kings. You guys know that's my biggest season win total over bet. But they're not a great basketball team. And then when you look below the Clippers, you've got the Jazz, the Wolves, the Thunder, the Blazers, the Suns, the Lakers. All of these teams are sort of scraping with you. Where one game, yeah, it does make a difference, but also at the same time, it kind of doesn't. So, skipping this one game, 
because for this night, for this coming evening, Norman Powell's going to be a very easy selection to play. Terrence Mann will be playable. You'll probably get enough out of Vitsa Zubats tonight, who's probably playable even when the team is healthy. You might get enough out of Marcus Morris. Uh, but again, that's more of a head-to-head -head type of thing. And for the Clips, when you were looking at their head-to-head, -head, you had to sort of build in this idea of, okay, like Terrence Mann was fine in this ball game with the the main guys in there he was okay but he gets a big bump on the other half of the back-to-back -back. so this is a game i would play darren's man in all formats on the head-to-head -head side you play him in both games of the back-to-back because -back you can just sort of roll up stats a little bit when everybody's in i think the only guys i'm playing on the clippers in roto are pg and Kawhi, obviously and zubats i don't think i'm playing man in roto when the team is fully healthy, he's probably a hold on the head-to-head -head side because he's going to do... He's going to be Quentin Grimes-like, I believe, and he's going to do just sort of enough, barely most games. Uh, Grimes has kind of played his way into a little bit more activity. I, maybe that happens with Terrence Mann as the, as the trust builds, but it also... We know the Clippers will do a lot of mixing and matching, so there's... The bottom can kind of fall out a little bit. On the Philly side, I got to talk about DeAnthony Melton because I do, I am nervous now. And I said it two days ago on the podcast uh, after the Lakers, uh, maybe that was yesterday. Was that yesterday we talked about that? It doesn't matter. Um, no, it was two days ago. It was Monday. I really do not like what the Sixers' new lineup means for Melton. When I on this podcast, and like this can be considered a little bit of a mea culpa, but also the Sixers are doing something different than I expected. So that's, I mean, that's where things get sort of pivoted a little bit. The, uh, I expected that when Tyrese Maxey came back, he was going to be the starting shooting guard on this team, and Melton was going to kind of get to run the second unit which is what we saw at the very beginning of the year. It took him about two, three games to kind of figure out that's what his job was. And then he started to look really good, and then everybody got hurt, and obviously he exploded after that. They haven't, however, gone back to that same method. And instead, Phillies turned Tyrese Maxey into this second-unit monster where he just comes in and starts attacking. It's attack, 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 attack. He had a usage of almost 26 yesterday which was second on the team, believe it or not, behind just Joel Embiid. Yes, ahead of James Harden, who, for whatever reason, was just sort of like not really engaged in the game, probably having Paul George and Kawhi guarding you on defense did a little bit of that. Yes, that was also part of it with Melton. He was looking at good defenders all game long, and that's not always going to be the case. But if he's with two of the highest usage guys in the NBA in the first unit, and Tobias Harris who's very much third in the pecking order there, fourth in the pecking order for Melton isn't enough. So I am more than willing to adjust my expectations here based on the fact that Philly went to a different unit than I expected. Melton now is a role player only. Will he be stuck at 21 minutes every game? Ah, probably not. I mean, they'll, you know, George Niang was shooting the ball well, so he got a few extra minutes in this ballgame. If P.J. Tucker's doing okay stuff, he'll play a little extra. Like there, And then there was a little bit of garbage time at the end as well. Shake Milton got 16 minutes. Those might go to Melton if he's playing better. He wasn't really. I'm going to hold on for probably about one more week. 
Today's the 18th. I'll probably hold on until like the 25th or so. And if his role doesn't change, if he continues to just be mostly a defensive placeholder in a starting unit that has Tobias, Embiid, and Harden that are on a given night probably going to combine to take about 45 shots. In this one, it was only 40. Uh, The pace was actually relatively slow in this game outside of Embiid taking 18 free throws. There's just not enough there for Melton in this unit. If they somehow flip it back, if they decide to bring Maxi back into the starting unit and Melton's running the second, then I, I move him back up the board a little bit. But it's possible that he ends up a drop. I'm giving it one more week. Okay, so the Jakob Pertl dilemma is an interesting one because he's finally playing better. And he actually had foul trouble yesterday, and then they just didn't bring him back in towards the end of the ballgame necessarily. I think his, his minutes were depressed in the first half because of fouls, and then he picked up his fourth early in the third quarter. The Spurs are also going to be careful with him because he is uh, on the trade block, and the only thing that could muck this up for them is a season-ending injury. So that sucks. So if you're expecting Perkle, Pertle, called him Perkle, if you're expecting Pertle to play 32 minutes of ballgame, it's not going to happen. 24 to 27 is probably where he ends most ballgames. And so far this year, that's been fine. He's inside the top 80 on that type of number. But it's probably not changing much leading up to the NBA trade deadline, which is now only three weeks from tomorrow. So, like, we're coming up on it, so it's not that long. So what do you do with him? Well, you continue to start him, certainly in the near term here. You start him because he's been good enough to play, even in 24 to 27 minutes of ballgame. And then I think you hope that he does get traded. Now, I don't know what team is hard up for a defensive center. You can kind of look through the, the the two standings and look at, like, the top 10, 11 teams in each side and say, okay, well, which of these teams makes sense as a possible landing spot? In the Western Conference, I would argue the Mavericks are kind of the only one, and that's if they want to continue to play Christian Wood and get him more time at the four, uh, which I think he could handle. But I also think the Mavericks believe that they need to be a bit better on defense. So that's why he could be there. Not that Wood, I know Christian Wood's been putting up really big numbers lately, but remember, Maxi Kleba's been out, Dorian Finney-Smith's been out, and the Mavs have not been that great defense. I know you guys see the blocks for Christian Wood and you want to say that's the defense, but some of that has been recovery-type stuff. And yes, admittedly, he's been better on defense. I don't want to take that away from him. But that's the team to me that jumps out among the possible Western Conference buyers at a big man spot. And if he landed there, he'd probably continue to play 25 to 30 minutes of ballgame. They're not, you know, not going to shell out for a guy and then not use him. But, like, I don't even know that the Jazz are going to be competing for the playoffs. I don't think the Thunder are ready to be buyers yet. I think they'd rather get one more draft pick, get Chet Holmgren back, because he's part of their plans. And Pertle's on an expiring contract, so if a team brings him on, they have to either be thinking, this is a guy we want to re-sign for part of our, you know, go-forward plan, or we're willing to get him as a rental and just try to go on a run. I don't really see any other teams in the West that make a lot of sense. Looking out East, who makes sense out East? 
Um, I don't know who we think is actually trying to go for it. Are the Raptors buyers or sellers? Because going back to Toronto is pretty much the only spot out east that, to me, makes a ton of sense for him. Cavs have plenty of centers. The Nets, I guess, are a possible. I know they have Nick Claxton, but they have very little depth in the front court. So maybe that's a spot that you could look. I don't know contractually how any of these things would work. I'm Right now, I'm just looking for a landing spot for him. Celtics, they got plenty of centers. Bucks have Brooke Lopez and Portis. They're fine. Sixers have Embiid. If they brought in Pirtle, it would be to replace Paul Reed and Montrez Harrell. I think that's more than they probably want to spend on that spot. The Heat could probably use a little bit of assistance at a big man spot behind Adebayo, but that's not a great landing spot for Pirtle. Pacers, are you going for it? Well, it depends. Are they trading Miles Turner? Would they try to get Yaka Pirtle back in some sort of three-team deal? Hawks have plenty of centers. Bulls, they got Vooch. I'm not seeing it. I know that, that the Spurs have come out and said, oh, we have all these teams like begging for Jakob Pertl. To me, it's like the Mavs, maybe the Warriors, if they wanted to make a run at it and don't really want to trust Kevon Looney to be that guy because he doesn't block shots anymore. There's like two or three teams. So I'm not sure that I buy that there's all this stuff going on. That said, I think if he gets traded, it does kind of lock in a 25-minute role for him. Someone's going to trade for him. Even if he's coming off the bench, he's going to play a fair amount. I don't think his role... I mean, there are very few places, in my opinion, where a team's going to give up enough assets for him to then play him 18 minutes off the bench. He's going to be a costly guy to trade for at the deadline. So if someone's going to go get him, they're going to end up wanting to play him. So my thought on Pirtle is, you probably hang on. Because if you're selling on him right now, what are you going to get back? Top 80? I'd rather take a shot that he lands someplace where he gets an extra two or three minutes of ballgame and goes back up into that 50-60 range. So I think this is actually a time, I don't know that I would buy on Jakob Pertl right now, but if someone is freaking out about the trade deadline and you could get Pertl for like a, a 90 range guy, I mean, those 90 range guys are not particularly exciting on the year. You're talking about like P.J. Washington, Boyan Bogdanovich. I mean, if I could get Jakob Pertl for Boyan Bogdanovich... I'd probably do it. KCP's not going to get it done. Not enough name weight there. Uh, Jaden McDaniels probably doesn't get it done. Bogdanovich, I think, might because he averaged 21 points. If Kelly Oubre was still healthy, he probably would have gotten it done. Maybe Aaron Gordon. Marcus Smart is 94. I feel like people think he's been better than he has been this year. A couple things to throw out there. I don't know if I'd give up Wendell Carter Jr., but he's number 102 right now, guys. Remember, he doesn't do anything on the defensive side. Josh Hart, he's been slumping. If he wasn't slumping so hard, he might get it done. So there are some names out there you could use, I think, to get Jakob Pertl right now, and I would actually lean that direction over the other. Okay, uh, this is the part of the show where we pivot and look at the uh, the upcoming slate of ball games. Because it was decided that that's something that uh, that everybody really wanted me to do. So let's go through those very quickly here on the show. What am I looking for? I don't look forward to. I don't know what I'm. What am I keeping an eye on for tonight? Atlanta in Dallas. Um, Clint Capella's minutes and kind of is this the end for Okongwu? Who, by the way, thanks to his Capella-less run, is inside the top ninety per game on the year. After all those games where he did nothing. 
just power boosting up the board. This is an interesting one in my estimation because Atlanta's been playing better, and I don't fully trust the Mavericks. Christian Wood feels like he can kind of push Okongwu around a little bit. I don't know if he's going to be able to push around Capella. I am very curious how uh, some of the key guys do. And then I think Tim Hardaway's been ruled out already, but I haven't seen a report on him in like two days. So let's just call him questionable for now. If he's out, I don't know that I replace him with anybody. Like, do, do I really trust Reggie Bullock in a spot like that? Eh... Only if you need threes. Atlanta, we talked about Bogdan Bogdanovich being a buy low. I still believe he is. And at some point, he's going to have one of those heater games where he hits like 8 out of 13 shots. Nothing insane, but four of them are three-pointers. So you're talking about probably 20-plus points are coming one of these ball games, and then you're not going to be able to buy low anymore. Wizards at Knicks. Doesn't this feel like a kind of game where it could swing very two very different directions? Do the Wizards want to try to go Porzingis at the five and deal with Mitchell Robinson there? Or would they rather give a little more Daniel Gafford and let Porzingis mostly deal with Julius Randle? From the Wizards' side, it feels like that's the way to go. If the Knicks go small, does Washington then... It's hard to say they're going small, but do they go to the non-two-big man lineup... I'd love to see what Daniel Gafford's going to get in this ballgame. I also want to know what DeLon Wright is going to get in this game because Bradley Beal is once again questionable. He's he's going to play in one of these things. They're going to go a little easy on him, but we'll get, I think, a better idea of what that means for some of the guards as he comes back. Indiana. I think we have a pretty good feel for what they are without Tyrese Halliburton. And is this the one where Andrew Nemhart gets going? It sure feels like a, a distinct possibility because Oklahoma City, they're picking up wins, but they're largely doing it with big offensive performances. Jalen Williams, I expect him to bounce back in this one. Uh, not much else in this ballgame either. Cleveland, likely to be without Donovan Mitchell. I, I mean, I, I think at this point, Ricky Rubio, all he's really doing is making it so we can't even consider Karis Levert in a fill-in spot. Memphis, Probably going to spank them without Donovan Mitchell, but nothing really fantasy-wise on the Grizzlies' side. Miami might have Kyle Lowry back tonight. He went through shoot-around, and he's questionable for this ballgame. So, uh, chance for Lowry to possibly make his return after he's missed a few ball games That would render Gabe Vincent unplayable. Not that you guys needed any help on that one. Pelicans. I haven't heard anything about anybody coming back for New Orleans, so let's assume they kind of replicate what the last few have been, which is that Alvarado's been right on the fringe. Trey Murphy's been a start. Najee Marshall is also kind of right on the fringe. McCollum's been taking a ton of shots, and Jonas Valanciunas has been getting a ton as well because they've needed his offense. Charlotte at Houston. Ooh, this is going to be one of those first team to 135 wins kind of games. Fun, fun, fun. So is the last one on the card, by the way. There's going to be some high-scoring games tonight. Charlotte, um, I don't think there's much right now. Mason Plumlee tweaked an ankle at the end of their last ball game, but we haven't really heard anything about it, so I assume he's fine. If something does break later in the day that you know Plumlee is all of a sudden going to skip a game, which, why wouldn't he at this point? That team is a dumpster fire. Uh, I don't know if he's on the trade block. I would think he is. He's an expiring contract. He'd be like a cheaper version of Jakob Pertl for one of these teams that could probably go get him and use him as a backup big man. Like, there are a lot of teams that could use Mason Plumley in a way that I don't know as many teams could use Jakob Pertl, mostly just because of cost. Take a game off, Mason. If that's the case, 
then Mark Williams, who hadn't played for a few games, would probably be a really interesting fill-in. I guess we'd have to see who the hell would be actually getting a start for the Hornets. But come on, Charlotte's time to lean into this thing. You don't need to play Plumlee every ball game. Houston, I think we might have Kevin Porter Jr. back for this one, and uh, you know that mostly just hurts everybody else. He's been just inside the top 100 thanks to a difficulty in the three roto-friendly categories. Uh, but, you know, whatever. I get yelled at for emphasizing percentages and turnovers. They do matter, guys. Like, it's, it's a really good way to win. Uh, if you can build a team that's that's pretty good at one of those. And, and uh, you know, some team that punt one, you have to be pretty good at the other one, typically. So here's the thing. I'm going to push back on something because I mentioned it on, I think, yesterday's show. This is going longer than I expected today. That... Me referring to a guy as a points league option is sort of like a quick way of saying, yeah, okay, like figure out if you're punting certain things and the percentages of turnovers. But also, uh, the most hyper-competitive leagues these days, as you really sort of like work your way up the ladder, you, you can't be bad at all three of those. It's hard to be bad at two of them, but it's possible but it's almost impossible to be bad at all three. You kind of have to count on winning one of those three categories if you're going to win your playoff week in a head-to-head league. Because it leaves you so little margin for error. And, I mean, I guess you can go super crazy volume at that point, but how can you get all of those guys on your fantasy? You need like, you need like six picks in the first three rounds in any event. Um... What else is going on tonight? Clippers, as we mentioned, probably sitting everybody. We talked about that already. Norman Powell, Terrence Mann, all these kind of guys, they get a little bit of a boost. Utah, we've seen them here without Markkinen. Uh, We don't know what his status is. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, it just broke one minute ago on the interwebs. Larry Markkinen is in tonight, everybody. So that probably ruins anything you were getting out of Colin Sexton. It makes Malik Beasley uh, a 50-50 play at best. Um... Who the hell else? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to hurt Walker Kessler. It's going to hurt Jared Vanderbilt. It's going to take a little bit away from those guys. But you're not going to, you're not going to stop playing Kessler. He's been incredible. I do think that Vanderbilt now once again is in jeopardy of being a drop. But you can see how it goes at least. Uh, but he was trending the wrong way before Markinen went down. Minnesota's in Denver. Uh, the Wolves. Not a ton of question marks there. I would assume Rudy Gobert is going to sit this one out. If they try to play him through this groin thing again, it feels like. A very a very poor idea. So Nas Reed, slow-mo, as far as I'd go there. Denver, do they sit anyone on a back-to-back? If they do, Bruce Brown gets a bump. And Sacramento and L.A., I, I don't think that there's a whole lot there. I think on the Lakers' side, I'm probably benching the big men for now because Thomas Bryan and Wenyan Gabriel seem to be slipping into a timeshare. And you can kind of see how that goes. Sacramento is favored by four in this game. Which, man, that feels like LeBron might be out. I can't imagine. I mean, that's a Sacramento seven-point edge on a neutral site. He's questionable. We know LeBron's questionable. I thought for sure he'd play in this one and then sit against the Grizzlies. But the way that that line is built right now, that, to me, sounds like LeBron is sitting. Because sometimes the line knows a little bit before we do. When did the Lakers and Kings play their last ball game? When was that one? It was some point last week. Is that like Thursday of last week? No, that was 
that was the Mavs in LA. That was the the wacky game. When was the Kings game? Was that Monday? I really want to find this out. Lakers were in Denver. Oh god, it was all the way back to the seventh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, no, Sacramento was favored by seven and a half in that one. So that was again. Uh, that means like a four and a half point gap on a neutral site. Lakers still. They have any of their? They didn't really have their guys in that one either. Yeah, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This this line, if LeBron was playing, should be more like Kings by one to two, or even a pick'em. Sacramento by four. Feels like LeBron might be out. If that's the case, if LeBron actually does sit this one out, um, Dennis Schroeder gets a huge bump. Russell go insane for better or worse, but Schroeder's the guy that that typically moves across the cut line when uh, when LeBron is sitting out the ball game. And that's that one. So let's wrap this thing up, everybody. I want to remind everyone once again to please do follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Back with you again tomorrow, everybody. And to those, again, on the recorded side, please join us for our live YouTube shows every day. It's a lot of fun. You can get your questions answered there as well. Again, that's youtube.com slash sportsethos. Have a good one, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.